Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. And in today's episode, we're going to look at how you can turn the greatest political and financial upheaval in modern history to your advantage. My guest in this episode is Harry Dent. Harry studied economics in college in the 70s, but found it vague and inconclusive. He became so disillusioned by the state of his chosen profession that he turned his back on it. Instead, he threw himself into the new science of finance where identifying and studying demographic, technological, consumer, and many, many other trends empowered him to forecast economic changes. Harry is a best-selling author and has written numerous books over the years, including The Great Boom Ahead, The Demographic Cliff, the sale of a lifetime, and his latest best-selling book is Zero Hour, Turn the Greatest Political and Financial Upheaval in Modern History to Your Advantage. If you've not checked out my new podcast, Cashflow Investing Secrets, I would highly recommend it. It's a shorter show, 10 minutes or less, where I share one concept and or idea at a time what I've learned from interviewing over 500 Cashflow Ninjas. You can listen to the show on your favorite podcast, video, and live streaming platforms. We've also uh, got an investment group and community for accredited investors. If you're interested to join the group, please visit CashflowNinjaInvestorsNetwork.com. You can also connect with the Cashflow Ninja community and all the other Cashflow Ninjas out there through our Facebook group. Uh, you can join the group by going to Facebook and typing in Cashflow Ninja Community. Savvy investors know that in order for the miracle of compounding interest to work, it's magic, you have to be constantly invested in all stages of the economic cycle. So the question then becomes, how do you find solid investments when the stock market is close to all-time highs and everything else just seems so inflated? That's where our friends at ASIM Capital come in. Since 2011, ASIM has helped more than 300 accredited investors allocate more than $25 million to mobile home parks, self-storage, and workforce housing due to their ability to perform well during economic recessions. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to asymcapital.com. That's A-S-Y-M capital.com to get instant access to their investment offerings. MC Lobsher, the creator of the Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Coach at Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate infinite banking with their business and investments. To learn how you can create your own banking system to turbocharge your investments and business in 30 days or less, go to yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. With me back on the Cashflow Ninja podcast is Harry Dent. Harry, so great to connect again. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and joining us again. Sure, sure. Good to be back. Yeah. How are things out in uh, Puerto Rico? You've been living there for a while now. How are things over there? Yeah, a little over three years. I've been coming here for 25 years since I bought a property on an island called Calabra, which not many people know about. It's like the St. John uh, of Puerto Rico, and Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, so there's no passports, no problem moving here or traveling here. So 
I like it. You know, the manana thing is a challenge like it is in any emerging country, which no, this is no longer an emerging country. The San Juan's a first world city now. That's one reason I can live here. So I love it. I mean, my property taxes are so low on the one property I own is my vacation property on a big lot that's going five acre from 25 acre zoning. That's the only reason I kept it, frankly. Right. <laughs> but the property taxes are so low. And of course, the income taxes for people who qualify from the states are so low. And then my condo on the beach is a quarter of what it would have cost if I had moved back to South Beach. So I'm I'm a happy camper. And the weather's less hot than, than uh, Miami at extreme. So I like yeah. it. I've heard a lot of great things from people going down there, and uh, they remarked how just how impressed they were with uh, Puerto Rico overall because you have this idea kind of in your mind of what to expect. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, this is not really what I expected. Yeah, yeah I so, like the restaurants altogether better than Miami here. Not as good as New York, okay, or San Francisco. Yeah. But, I mean, that's pretty damn good for being on a Caribbean island. Yeah, Absolutely. Let's jump in uh, to the world economy and world markets. What are you seeing? Uh, where are we right now? Because you'd love talking about cycles, and I learned a lot on my journey from you through economic market cycles, demographic, and then also the political cycle, which I know we'll get into. But what are you seeing in the world economy and in markets currently? And what what, what do you see uh, into the the next couple of months? I guess we have to. Th- <laughs> look into months and as opposed to just years since we're uh, another election cycle another cycle's coming up right yeah you know now first thing i mean i have the best long-term cycles because it's taken me 30 years to get it i i got i tripped on to demographic cycles in the 80s when i was consulting to new ventures and they had the baby boomers as their new clients and so i had to look at baby boomers and i'm like holy smoke does anybody see how big this generation how innovative they are and change oriented and they're coming at the u.s economy and the world economy at the speed of light and we're gonna have the greatest boom in history and people thought i was nuts back then because this was late 80s by the time i got my first cycles together and demographic and i was predicting japan would collapse while the U.S. and Europe and the rest of the world would have the greatest boom in history. People are like, Harry, you got it backwards. Japan's taking over everything. Haven't you noticed? And the U.S. is a sunset country. I'm like, nope. They're peaking in their baby boom, and we're just getting going, and ours is a lot larger. So I was able to see the 90s boom when the Kondratiev wave, the only good cycle people I knew back then, Prechter and, and James Dale Davidson and Robbie Botcher, and these sort of people, they were calling for depression in the 90s. I would have bought that because I was studying that cycle too, except I knew this baby boom was coming. So that started, but I had to eventually adjust after 9-11 for a geopolitical cycle, a 35-year cycle I found. In the last several years, my co-author, Zero Hour, introduced me to the 45. Well, he, he just said 45 and 90-year cycles are important. He didn't know why. Well, I go back and find, oh, that's my missing technology cycle. So just when I got all my cycles together several years ago, guess what happens? We have the 2008 recession, something we'd call for more like depression at the beginning, way back in the 80s, um, called it down to the year, you know, late 2007 would be the top roughly. And then central banks come in and say, well, sorry, we're not going to have the Great Depression. We're not going to have a reset. We're not going to let bubbles burst, not going to let banks fail, companies fail. I'm like, well, wait a minute, that's what happens, that's what's supposed to happen in the economy when you go to excesses. And so they've taken over. 
And so the biggest thing now, number one, everybody has to understand central banks have taken over the free market system. Special interests have taken over democracy. So a lot of the natural cycles, they're still there and they'll win in the end. But basically, we have a bubble. We've got Main Street growing at 2%, the same rate it grew from 1929 to 40 in the worst downturn in history, 2% on average uh, growth. That's what we've been doing. We just like what I call the winter season, but they've blown up the stock markets and the financial markets with all this quantitative easing and, and zero interest rates and free money. So we have a very slow economy despite massive stimulus, but we have stock markets, which I've shown in my recent newsletter articles, uh, are overvalued 114% now from my spending wave model, which just shows where the economy and stock should be based on the spending cycle of the generation, baby boom, now baby bust, and soon to be millennials. So 114%, I mean, that's never been anywhere near that close. That can be explained simply by companies using free money from the Fed and low interest rates to buy back their own stocks and shrink the float earnings per share have grown 119% in corporate earnings. So that explains that entire overvaluation. So we got a, the greatest stock bubble in history at the worst economy since the 1930s. So, so my forecast is in the next three years, when my cycles, all three of them are at their worst together, 2020 to 2022, we're going to see this great reset, like 1929 to 32 crash. It's going to be mostly about getting stocks back to re down to reality, which would mean stocks would have to go down to about 5,000 on the Dow and then maybe settle more like 10,000 where they should be, 12,000. And, and real estate's going to have to come down 40 to 50% more than it did in 2007 to 2012 and that, that uh, real estate decline and bubble. So this is... This is something, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, we're hearing there might be a recession, the yield curve inverted. We know we've gone 10 years now. This really is, we really are. We do have had a recession my entire adult life, every 10 years at max, and we're past that now. But this, all this stimulus, and then now we got tax cuts. The stimulus is keeping it alive, but, but note that after the big tax cut in 2018, we saw a bump in the markets and a small bump, small bump in GDP growth, we're right back in the second quarter down to 2%. And, and, and most leading indicators are saying we're going to slow further. So the stimulus, you know, it's like it's like taking a drug. It always makes you feel better today. And then, but you have to take more and more and more. And then at some point you just fall down and collapse and they put you in rehab. Well, that's what we're we're going to rehab. I call it detox, financial detox. These bubbles have to burst. We have to get off of free money and zero interest rates and make have people have to make investments that make a real return. And again, all of this stuff, oh, get companies to invest. Companies haven't been investing. They overinvested in the bubble boom in the 2007. And now they just buy back their stocks with all this free money and, and increase their stock prices and, and their CEO bonuses. So guess who's the dumbest money this time? It's not the shoeshine boys of 29. It's not the taxi drivers of, of late 1999 and the tech bubble. It is the Fortune 500 corporate managers. And in real estate, guess who's buying the most overpriced real estate? Billionaires looking to park money and money launderers around the world, especially the Chinese. So this is the smart money now is the rich people. I've never seen that before. That's really scary. Yeah, it, you make a lot of great points. One of the things I wanted to ask you too is, 
because and and I I'm glad you touched on that too. Is is basically how uh you know special interest obviously has taken over the go- uh, the government and then corporations have sort of taken over the the markets, the free markets. That was one of the questions that I had because you know I I never want to say those words that could it be different than from other crashes because they all you know like uh, I think it was Mark Twain that said you know <laughs> uh, his his uh, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself but it sure does rhyme. But one of the things that I've seen is it's become so financialized, you know, the financialization of markets. And you mentioned the Fortune 500, just the, the stock and shares buybacks is ridiculous. And then also the computer trading, you know, <laughs> a split of a split second of trading. And then also the, you know, most people refer to them as the plunge protection team, folks that come in and purchase. How does that this affect what could potentially come from a market standpoint? Um, could it be, you know, the, a, a massive correction? Could it be a large correction? But it's become so financialized that there's so many tricks and tools that they have to kind of stall a sharp decline that in the past, could it look the same? Or what are some of your thoughts on that? Okay. Yeah, that, that's a great question. There's two opposing points. My first story is I was in Dubai speaking at this giant conference, biggest thing I've ever spoken at. And uh, late 2006. And, and basically I was saying, I was looking at their bubble. They had the, one of the biggest stock bubbles in the world and cranes every, oh my God, cranes like Miami today were worse. And I said, Hey, this is going to burst. And people said, Harry, uh, let's wait. you don't understand our market. The government supports it. The governments will buy when businesses and consumers don't. And I said, Oh, well now I'm really worried because that's what's happened here. No accident. Story number two, Federal Reserve, first central bank in a long time in America since Andrew Jackson or something, comes in 1913. And guess what? 20 years later, we see the greatest stock bubble in history and the greatest collapse in in, in depression. That was no accident. When you don't let the economy correct along and have little recessions and corrections and stuff, then it just gets more overinflated, more overinflated, more bubbly, and it goes nuts. That's what we have here, all these tricks and now tax cuts. You know, Trump's already talking about a payroll tax holiday for everyday people. Okay, we we gave money to Wall Street and the banks. Then we gave money to corporations. Well, now let's just give it to Homer Simpson. Look, I'd have given it to Homer Simpson in the first place if you're going to give it away. Um, So so it's only but but it has less and less effect. And what it does at this point, I think the what I was trying to make my most important point uh, right off the bat we're in a, we're an economy that all doesn't have much to do with fundamentals near term. It's just a bubble that's going to go till it blows. It's going to get more stretched. Now, every time it gets stretched, note that every time we've had a crisis, tech wreck, okay, stocks are down 40 some percent. Oh, the great financial crisis to that. Oh, they're down 54%. This time it's going to be 70, 80, 90 by my calculations. So since you stretch it more, when something goes wrong, the rubber band goes the other way. So it will be a bigger stock crash than last time. Now, the flip side of that, the opposite argument, which I hate because it's the worst scenario for me, that we just become Japan, U.S. and Europe, because Japan was the first to start QE many, many years before us because their their bubble collapsed in uh, late 89 for stocks and 1991 for real estate. They both collapsed in the early 90s. So they got their reset before quantitative easing could offset it. So they never, the quantitative easing was to keep the banks from going under and businesses. So they have never uh, de-leveraged their debt, written off debts, which is a huge thing to go forward. 
act like they have low unemployment when they don't. Everybody's working half time because there's nothing to do there in a slow economy. We could become Japan. You know, now Japan for almost 30 years since that top in late 89 has been in a coma economy. Zero average and in recent times, zero to 1% growth, zero to 1% inflation and some deflation at times. They're just flatlined. And they're aging and they're not attracting immigrants because they want to protect their culture. They're not deleveraging debt, which would at least help the businesses and consumers that are over in debt there. And da, 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 da. They're dying. Yeah. Oh, my economy. So what we could have is a crash, like I'm saying, and maybe it doesn't go as deep because they just step in and then flood it. Now, last time it was four trillion from the Fed. Now this time it's 10 trillion and everybody does their 10 trillion, you know, and they just keep keeping us anesthetized with free money and we just kind of sail slowly in the sunset like Japan. That's unfortunate because our demographics are a little better. Our innovation is a lot stronger. So that's the worst scenario to me. But that would say we don't have as big a banking crisis like Japan, but we still, I tell you, one way or the other, stocks have to come down to reality. Real estate has to come down to reality. You can't keep any asset class overvalued this long and they've been sub supremely overvalued, really, since the late 90s. And, we, and we've got them from, from more fair value back to extremely overvalued in the last 10 years. So this cannot last. We're going to have to have some sort of reset. So that alone is reason to get out of the way. But at worst, which would be my best scenario, we do have major bank failures. We do have higher unemployment business failures that we wash out all this debt. And that takes a big burden off the economy. People don't realize 29 to 32 may have been the greatest crash, the greatest downturn, the highest unemployment, everything you want to say, but we came roaring out of it because we cleansed the system so fast. So I'd rather see the more difficult scenario because it means we're doing the right thing. Puerto Rico, I'm in Puerto Rico right now. People are like, what are you doing in a bankrupt nation with a corrupt government? Well, their corruption's being dealt with. They are restructuring their debt down like 70 to 85%. That's what you do. The people who took the risk, especially the investors and the financial institutions, need to take their losses. And if they fail or get taken over by another bank, then so be it. That's fine. AIG could have failed. They had good insurance policies. Another company would have taken over. It would have been fine. Yeah. So you have, but you have to wash out the debts. And that's what I'm afraid we won't do. In that case, we won't have as deep a downturn, but we also won't come out of it. Again, spring, fall, so, I mean, spring, summer, fall, winter, we've gone from the uh, fall bubble boom season, 2008 crash since in winter, but with super stimulus and, and overinflated markets, we don't get to spring. Japan should have been in spring back in 2002. They've never gone to spring again because they never let winter do its work. So these economists, who think they're geniuses and think, oh, we've got new Keynesian economics and we don't need to have recessions anymore. Recessions are like the common cold. They're not your enemy. They keep you healthy, you idiot. I mean, people don't understand that. Oh, cold. Oh, I got to take codeine. You know, codeine is heroin. <laughs> Basically, you know, yeah. everyday heroin. You're knocking your system out and keeping it from getting rid of bad stuff. That's why you have a cold. Cold doesn't have a cold just to have fun. Yeah. It's helping you, just like recessions, help the economy constantly cleanse out the waste and the excess debt and the unperforming companies and the bad banks and the bad employees even. 
This is a yeah. healthy thing to do. Unfortunately, since we haven't done this in the last decades, we're going to have to have a big reset. And, and, and that's what I'm warning. Once in a lifetime crash, which if you flip that coin around the positive side, once in a life sale on everything from real estate to gold and commodities to stocks and companies, everything's going to be on sale. Yeah, and I would highly recommend uh, listeners and viewers check out that book, Sale of a Lifetime. It's a great, great read too, explaining this and and how there's a positive side to this because the, you know this is this is going as you mentioned. We've been partying all night. There's been a lot of drinks. You know, eventually we we had some you know, maybe some tequila too. We yeah. can't keep doing that. We're gonna have to face a hangover and yeah. you know move move on from there. Yeah, um, and, good. and then don't take more drugs to fix the hangover. Just go to the hangover, you know, drink a lot of water, stay in bed a couple days. That's what we need to do. By the way, uh, MC, our most recent book is Zero Hour. I'd recommend yep. reading that just because it's more up to date. Yep, absolutely. Our whole point there, don't look at this as a bad thing. If you see it coming, preserve your capital near the top of a bubble, which you have undeservedly gotten gains. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Use those to rebuy when, the, like Joseph Kennedy did, when things are down 70, 80, 90% or real estate down 30, 40, 50, that's, a, that's, a, that's the greatest thing that could happen to you. Greatest single way to build wealth in a short period of time. Absolutely. And it's understanding all of these things because you hear, you know, and, and of course, in today's very, very, uh, you know, social media world, you see a lot of quotes, you know, <laughs> buy low, sell high, that kind of stuff. And it's like, duh, but it's like, this is how you buy low and you sell high, right? Yeah, yeah, so understanding all of this. Example. This is the extreme example. And this is going on. Yeah. I mean, you got to get bubbles by their nature, suck everybody in before the Titanic sinks. That's Everybody, when everybody's on board, the smart money realizes that because they measure what we do down to mm -hmm. detail. Yep. They know. And that's when they get out and they short the market. And then these crashes happen very rapidly because of that. So this is a, a an exaggerated version, which means it's not just, oh, a 20% stock correction coming. It's 70 to 90. That you do not want to sit through in real estate, especially when people have mortgages against it. We saw what happened in 2008 and 9. So many people underwater losing their houses, foreclosures. Well, that was a 34% correction on average. I'm looking at 40 to 50% this time because we're more overvalued now. So that is going to cause a lot of pain. It doesn't cause pain if you see it coming. That's the point. And, and, if, and if you do see it coming, every time things go down in value and you preserve your cash and your money, now it buys more and more and more. It's a blessing if you see it coming. Absolutely. Let's uh, touch on commodities a little bit. Gold, silver, oil, other energy commodities. What are you seeing there currently? What, what's going on there? Well, you know, I, I love the commodities thing because, you know, years ago I told people, look, when this happens, it's not going to be 30, 40, 50 percent stocks or whatever. It's going to be 70, 89. Commodities have already crashed. It were 70 percent oil, iron ore, 80%, silver 70%, gold 45%. It's, it's the one that's held up the best because of its luster. Uh, but commodities bubbled and they crashed. Now, commodities had their first crash and then they now they had a rebound. They're going to have a second crash. If I had to hold anything right now, I'd hold the commodities because they're not as overvalued, but they're still going to go lower. Oil's going to go lower than 26. Gold's going to go lower than 1,050, which was it low, it, somewhere between 700 and 1,000. Silver is probably going to go under 10 bucks. That's when you buy. 
Yep. Uh, commodities are, are one of the best cycles, MC. I mean, one of the first ones I had way back, 30 years like a clock. You know, 1920, 1949 to 51, a double top. 1980, the one we saw in our lifetime, commodities top. Gold and silver top with the commodity bubble. Yes, they're inflation hedges. Yes, they did well in the 70s because of that. Yes, they're a monetary metal, but they're a commodity more so. And yep. gold and silver follow that commodity cycle. And when the metals peaked a little late in this one in 2011, gold and, 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 and silver crashed. Now, they have not bought them yet. But I tell you, it's one of the first things I buy because the next 30-year commodity cycle should start by 2022-23 or so. And it will be unique at a time when demographics are much less robust for stocks except for in the best emerging countries. And real estate has dying baby boomers suppressing it for decades ahead, all this stuff. Commodities are going to be driven by the emerging world, both in production and in the highest consumption. And the emerging world is going to be booming outside of China for a while. So, so I think the next commodity boom could be a great one. So, so when, I, when I'm debating gold bugs and they're always saying $5,000, $5,000, yeah, they're talking in this crash. I'm like, no. Gold's going to go down in 2008 like it did with the crash, with the deflation. But in this next commodity boom, yes, I could see buying gold as low as 700 bucks and it going to 5,000, give or take, in the next commodity boom, which, which will peak about the time I die, late 2030s. Yeah. I can yeah. predict, but the point is I can predict that today. The cycles I have go throughout history and people say, oh, Harry, but, but change is coming faster. Yes, each cycle sees more change and more progress than in the past. But these cycles, about 40-year demographic cycles, 45-year technology innovation, 35-year good and bad geopolitical, and we're near the bottom of that one, For thank God. I think this Iran thing is the bottom, and these uh, mass shootings in the United States are the bottom of that. But these things are constant throughout history, and the commodity cycle is one of those at 30 years. Now, another one real quick, MC. Every other technology cycle, those cause the most bubbles. You get a super bubble, like 1929. We're right on, right now in September, on the anniversary of the 29 stock crash. This one looks like it's coming later to me. I'm, I'm expecting this to peak somewhere between early 2020 and late 2020, the latest. But this is going to be, again, the bubble of your lifetime and the crash of your lifetime. And man, if you can see it coming, uh, there, there is no way you cannot be a lot wealthier coming out of it. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. Kings, queens, and royal families, along with the nobility and ultra-rich, have warehoused and stored their wealth for centuries in gold and silver, art, land, and real estate. These assets have stood the test of time through centuries and have been a great place to preserve and protect their wealth. Like gold, silver, land, and real estate, art has been around for centuries and will be around for many, many more centuries. That's why the ultra-rich will continue to invest in art and preserve their wealth in art. While the S&P declined 5.1% in 2018, the art market returned 10.6% and was called the best investment of 2018 by the Wall Street Journal. Masterworks is the first company to allow investors 
to buy shares of great blue chip art masterpieces by artists like Picasso, Monet, and Warhol. You can get set up on their platform at cashflowninja.com forward slash art. My friend Dave Zook from The Real Asset Investor says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. The Real Asset Investor team creates value for investors looking for higher yield returns from ATM machines and self-storage investments. Their syndications offer attractive investment opportunities that produce strong cash flow, equity growth, huge tax incentives. They are truly passive and managed by a world-class team. To learn more about the exciting investment opportunities the Real Estate Investor offers, such as their ATM and stealth storage syndications, please visit cashflowninja.com forward slash real asset investor. You're listening to the Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is a show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. Yeah, one of the things you just mentioned, technology, and I had a note here too, is there's a lot of quote-unquote technology companies. They call themselves technology companies. A good example is Uber, for example, right? Still losing a ton of millions of dollars. There's a lot of other technology companies losing money every single year, but they still go out, they still raise, and, and I mean, it's still going on. So maybe you have a comment to add to that too, because that's, I mean, obviously there's a lot going on there with technology and there's some great technologies being uh, uh, created, but a lot of these technology companies too, I mean, how long can a company go just losing billions of dollars before they eventually pull the plug? It can only go so long. You know, sometimes that is necessary, but we had that. I compare this crypto thing right now and a lot of these new IPOs to the internet IPOs, starting with Amazon, I think it was in, in 1998 or late 97, mm-hmm. all of a sudden these companies with no very little sales, no earnings, except for AOL, and they were valued at 400 times earnings, which is absurd, um, way overvalued because, oh, they're the next big thing. You're coming off one tech bubble and, and the new ones are emerging and, you're th- and everybody's thinking, well, they're over- going to overnight. No, yeah. the internet companies are only maturing now and they crashed 93%. Um, in that tech bubble burst, and they were the last fling of that tech bubble. I see the cryptos and some of these IPOs like Uber and the social media and WeWork for crying out loud. Yeah, that's another one. Company (laughs) trying to go out for $60 or something. That that shows we're in this last phase. And, And my question is, has Bitcoin peaked or not? One scenario peaked in late 2017. I was looking at the possibility of one last surge into late this year. This recent correction just basically took that out. We have the halving coming uh, mid next year, May of 2020, and Bitcoin issuance that off, often uh, signals a bubble. If this bubble in tech lasts a little longer, if Trump can kind of keep this boom going into the election, which there is a chance, I, I think it's getting harder and harder. If he can, we may get one more bubble in Bitcoin. If that happens, sell and run. That's what's called the hype phase, the early phase starting. They will crash. 90% of those companies with no profits and no possibility, including Uber and stuff, will go under. And then the survivors like the internet and Amazon in the early 2000s will create the next boom. And a smaller group of companies will create real value, huge. You could have bought Amazon. It peaked in 160 
in early 2000 with that tech bubble fell to $6 in 2001, and it's recently been over 2000. You could have bought Amazon at six bucks. Yeah. That's ahead. That ain't, I wouldn't buy these, these Bitcoin companies now, but when, when they do crash, the fact that they bubbled this big is a sign that they are the next big thing. That is the hype phase. It's another predictable phase of technology. So we also, in my books, we map out the S-curve progression, how new industries and technologies emerge and are adopted. It's totally predictable. You know, how long it takes to get from 0.1 to 1% to 10% adoption to 50 to 90, where you have big crashes and, and, and shakeouts in companies. I mean, automobiles started at 100, then went down to 30, then went down to 10, then down to three in the US. That's what happens. Nobody sees this stuff coming. It's another clock. People hate cycles. My, what I have to deal with, MZ, people hate cycles because cycles imply uh, that you're going to have a negative cycle for every positive. You're going to have pain for every pleasure. And, and life is that way. Yeah. Uh, what people want is a zip line to heaven. And that's not what life gives down here on earth. Right. So, but the thing is, if you understand cycles and you're ahead of them, that shakeout is your advantage as a business. Your competitors go under. If you're ready for it, you're not going to go under. And they're going to go under. And you're going to walk out of it with 40% market share when you walked in with 20%. What's yeah. so bad about that having a few difficult years if you're prepared and hunkered down? And again, same with investment. So cycles are your friend. Imagine if you didn't know when the sun was going to rise or if you're a farmer and you didn't know when spring. You know, farmers used to have to guess when spring was going to hit. They didn't know it was an annual cycle for a long time. That was part of the agricultural revolution. People had to be able to time the annual season. And seasons come in for this annual season comes in four seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter. I put everything on those four seasons and everything on, on a four-stage progression so that you can see the next stage before it happens. Yep. One thing that was fascinating for me when I really started and, and, and was immersing myself in, I, I love history and economics, so I immersed myself in studying history, and then you see world history and world events, especially geopolitical events, but then you bring the money side to it, what's actually happening uh, in the economy and, and markets, and then also, you know, the mon monetary system, you put central banks, the history of central banks and charters being revoked, you know, like, for example, in the United States, the War of 1812, right, happened, happened to occur right about a time when a, ch a banking charter was revoked, a central banking charter in the United States. So you put all these two things and align them up, you get the geopolitical kind of cycles, which co coincide with all of these. Um, that's another thing that, that you've mentioned. Can you speak to uh, the geopolitical cycle right now, where we are right now? Because obviously, if you look at the news, you see the China, the China trade war. Uh, you see trouble with Iran and Saudi Arabia, which might tie into the oil, right? It's not just friction. There's a reason for the friction. So all of these things are kind of coming back to economy, mar markets, and money. There's these geopolitical events. Can you speak to some of that? Okay, that's a good question, too, because my primary geopolitical cycle, I only got when in the early 2000s, we were telling people to buy. You know, that crash say, no, the baby boomers aren't done spending. As we said from the beginning, they won't be done till late 2007 or so. <laughs> but I said the Dow is going to go from whatever it was, 6,000 to 32,000, like the last bubble. Well, it didn't. So a few years into that, I realized, no, earnings are growing as fast. Economies as good as I thought, but stocks aren't going up as fast. What's wrong? That's when I discovered the geopolitical cycle. <clears throat> so 
1982 to 2000, positive geopolitical cycle. 17, 18 years positive, 17, 18 years negative. 9-11, we've been on nothing but negative ever since. Terrorist events. <coughs> yeah, but also wars all throughout the Middle East. Now we've got homegrown terrorism, white supremacists reacting to the bad Muslims, creating more problems than them. And we've got this final Iran kind of conflict and, and all this stuff over oil and Saudi Arabia and things. So my cycle says this is bottoming in late 2019, early 2020. This is the one cycle that's going to turn around slowly and be favorable while demographics stay unfavorable and technology stays unfavorable the latest. So we have more mixed cycles now, but that cycle, this is a sign. It is at its worst, and but it's not going to get a lot worse, I don't think. Now, flip side, I have a bigger cycle, 250-year revolution cycle, i.e. back to American uh, revolution and democracy. That was the biggest thing that happened in history because the Industrial Revolution and free market capitalism came at the same time in the same year. The key yep. benchmark, 1776, everything, boom. Yep. And then the 84-year populist cycle, like Hitler in the early 30s, Hitler and Trump are exactly 84 years from their inaugurations. And, and so we got a populist cycle. So that's a bigger cycle. So this geopolitical part, just like Middle East wars on, that's probably seen the worst of it. But we are going to have to see a lot of reforms in our financial systems and democracy system. I mean, what did we start out talking about? Uh, central banks have taken over free market capitalism. The biggest reason we've gotten rich, democracy has been its greatest ally because it, it's the opposite and balances it. And, and so countries that don't have both don't do well. Um, China, China has, free, uh, has um, capitalism, but it's government driven, not democracy. So it's gonna fail the worst. Russia tried that, they failed the worst. And so and so. So we're going to have to have a lot of reforms the next several years. So that part of geopolitical and I, th I think global trade has peaked like it did after World War One for a couple of decades. We may see a couple of decades before we get back to the same levels of global trade. So that's a long term geopolitical thing. But the shorter, more nasty one we've seen since 9-11, that should be about over within, you know, literally within months or something. And, and it'll turn around slowly like the Cold War did in the early 80s. You know, Gorbachev came in and just started talking to Reagan. Next thing you know, damn, what happened to the Cold War? Oh, and then the Berlin Mofa. That was right on that geopolitical cycle. Yeah, interesting stuff. So uh, for listeners out there that's not familiar with uh, some of Harry's earlier works too, highly recommend De Demographic Cliff. And I mentioned Sale of a Lifetime. Your newest book is uh, a zero hour. You want to just share with folks a, a, a brief summary just of what you get into the book and uh, what, what the new book covers? Well, you know, what zero hour brings is that 250 year cycle. Okay. Uh, that's, that's the biggest theme now. And again, we just have some just blockbuster charts. I mean, just showing what's has happened, what will happen. It, I'm like, why don't economists get this stuff? They just, they're studying the symptoms and not the causes. Uh, and, you know, and, and we look at how all these cycles, the, the most important thing about cycles, MC, it's taken me 30 years to fully get, and I learned it mostly from scientists who are the best cycle people in the world, is that you, there's tons of cycles. And, and the shorter term ones, there's many more, and that's why short-term forecasting is harder. As you get longer term, there's fewer cycles the key is to determine a hierarchy, usually of three, two, three, or four at most cycles that most impact. If you get into five or 10, then you're going to get so much 
cross signals, you're going to be confused. I, I'm not going to mention his name, but I talked to one of the best cycle guys in the world, and I, I learned nothing because he had too many cycles. He had cycles everything. It's seven cycles on gold alone. So I'm like, well, what do I do with that when four pointing up and three pointing down? It doesn't tell me anything. You have to have a hierarchy. And, and so the most important cycle in my hierarchy is the technology cycle. It's, it's a bit more important than demographics. And the geopolitical actually has the biggest impact on stock valuations through fear. It doesn't affect growth that much. Like, like the technology and demographics, urbanization too, part of it, basically will tell you where growth's going anywhere in the world. So uh, what I do tell people the best way to get to know us yeah read up read the latest book especially because it's already going to be more i got another one coming out probably early next year probably going to be called the tipping point or 2020 the tipping point but i got a free daily newsletter harrydent.com you just go there put in your email address that's all you do and we have a daily newsletter that keeps us up with what we're thinking and then we have other newsletters that people say oh i want to learn more but hey just get to know us because we are saying something very different. You can't go to other economists and say, oh, let me see if they agree with Harry. I can tell you right now, they will not agree with me. They never have. And I forecast most of the major events that have happened since I got these tools starting in the 80s. And, and they've missed almost all of them. They missed the Great Recession. <laughs> yep. There's they, missed, they missed the real estate bubble. Uh, uh, Robert Schiller was the only economist that got that. Only one out of, of zillions. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I would highly recommend all of our listeners check out Harry's works. Harry, one of the things that folks will ask and, and when they're listening to our conversation is, okay, we've, we know that there, we kind of see what, what's projected to come. Um, we kind of see the, the massive opportunity. What do we do in the meantime? What are some of the things that folks can do to adequately prepare for what's coming their way so that they, they are on the right side of this of this, uh, this opportunity. Well, you know, one of the things we look at in the books, you have to have a different portfolio for each season. That's another illusion that you can have an all weather portfolio. It means you're going to underperform. It's like saying, okay, I live in Washington, DC where it gets, you know, snows in the winter and it can be still 90 some in the summer. So I'm going to wear jeans and a sweatshirt all year. Well, you will not do well most of the time in that outfit. So <laughs> the thing, the key insight in winter, since it is this great reset after a bubbly fall bub, a boom season, as we, as we come out of, the field is narrower. High quality bonds, the U.S. Treasuries, the longest term, the better. The 30 years, you can still get over a 2% yield like a stock. And yet, when this deflation sets in, like in the 30s, they will go up in value because interest rates will go down to zero or lower. Cash flow positive real estate. If you're renting out apartments or homes and areas and the real estate's not that bubbly and the most profitable markets are places like the Southeast and Midwest where they're not bubbly and, and the investor can afford to rent out a positive cash flow. Well, those properties will hold up better, but that cash flow in, in your tracker will allow you to buy more properties when they go down in value and, and convert them into rentals. So that, and then the US dollar, people, Gold bugs are saying gold's going up and the dollar going down. Well, how come that's not what happened in 2008? U.S. dollar went up 27% while gold went down 33% and silver 50. So, so really you have to get out of all risk assets and, 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 and you can't say bonds, only the high quality bond. A junk bond is going to have the risk of default. Yeah, interest rates may go down in its favor, but the risk of default will weigh, greatly outweigh that. So you have to be in high quality bonds. Yeah. Get out of all risk assets just for a couple of years. 
and they're so overvalued now, how much more can you miss? Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. What are some of the things that you're studying right now? I, you, you said you were working on another book, but what is the, some of the stuff that you're studying and learning and watching uh, as we enter, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, we're, we're entering the next decade, <laughs> you know, and what is it like around 90 days? Uh, but what are some of the things that you're studying, learning and watching as we go into the next decade? Well, you know, one of the things I did, we, we had a company meeting and I, and I brought up, you know, because I, I always, since I study different stuff, I always have different insights. I said, you know, my next topic, I want to be in, why India is going to be the next China. And every, oh, well, India will never be that. They're backwards people running around loincloths and all poverty and shit. I said, have you been to India? I have been many times. Yeah. India is the next China. I look under the hood. The difference between India and China is China's had this massive urbanization over stimulus program and it's now 59% urban. India is still 34, 35%, almost like South, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa outside of South Africa. Yeah. Backwards because of that. When I look at how rich GDP per capita was India at the same stage, I mean, China at the same stage of India today, India was more wealthy. What, what is India's projection of GDP per capita growth with urbanization? It's higher than China. India is underinvested in everything. China's overinvested. India is a slam dunk. It's the only large country in the Asian continent outside of China who's overdone it. Now, China still has potential for urbanization, but their demographics are already down, the only emerging country. India and Southeast Asia are the next big boom in the world when it turns around. Developed countries are going to struggle to grow. Um, and in China, it's going to take five to 10 years to come out of this overbuilding. So I'm looking at how do you invest in that? And I'm literally writing an article right now, basically proving why India, unless they royally screw it up. And, and Modi's doing all the right things, even though he's you know, having a lot of challenges and stuff. Unless they royally screw it up, they are going to be the largest country in the world, and they're going to basically, and Asia is moving towards another cycle peak, 165 years, many decades from now, where it will be the dominant place in the world as the West does finally fade in the sunset. So India and Southeast Asia is my focus right now. That's the best place to invest coming out of it. Very interesting stuff, and that's on my bucket list to travel to that that country because I've just heard a lot of great things about it, and I love the people, and I'm a big fan of the food. So I'll be watching some of the, the content that you put together about that in your articles as well. Uh, Harry, where can my listeners uh, reach out to you guys? Where can they learn more about you? How can they follow you, and how can they uh, stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with, and also how can they get copies of your books and the latest book, uh, Zero Hour? Yeah, you know, best place to get. I mean, we don't even sell it that much now because Amazon's always got as good or better price than we can afford. Yeah. So it gets zero hour on Amazon. HarryDent.com, as I mentioned earlier, that gets you on our free daily newsletter. And then you, through that, you'll learn more about our other newsletters and stuff. For people who are really interested in my newsletters, the best deal we have is, is Boom and Bust Elite. That, that combines two newsletters from me and some newsletters from other people and you know, the range of investment and stuff, that's the best package we have for somebody serious about our stuff. But I say, hey, you can't go wrong, you know, getting on our free newsletter and just listening to us. And, and again, we're, we're saying controversial stuff now. And, and I just put out an article literally uh, this week in, in the free newsletter saying, guess what? 
Everybody's saying bonds are done. No, the bond bubble, the treasury bond bubble is the last to burst. It's the one thing that holds up is the flight to safety. So it only bursts when everything else is burst. So don't believe Wall Street when they say, oh, you better get out of bonds. Now, that is actually the place to be. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would highly encourage listeners to t take a look at it. You know, my personal philosophy is uh, I don't like echo chambers whatsoever. So I like a ton of different ideas, uh, contrasting ideas. You know, I like one guy that says gold is going to go to the moon. The other one says that gold is going nowhere right now. And then, you know, that that's how we learn, right? Seeing all the many different sides of it. Harry, I really appreciate your time. This has always been fascinating and very, very enjoyable. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all this valuable information and your knowledge with all of my listeners. Okay, great. We'll do it again sometime. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic market and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms. This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.